Today's reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It can be found on page 892 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Gracious God, as we come into this place, whether we come struggling or fairly happy, whether we come doubtful or believing, whether we become... Um, with a sense that you're distant from us and not connecting with our lives, or we come with a sense that you have answered prayers. We're all in the same boat, and we find ourselves more of a mess than we want other people to know. And your story tells us that you move towards broken lives and messy, uh, failed attempts at serving you. You come and chase down the runaways and bring them home, and we invite you to show us that kind of loving grace, forgiving compassion towards us. Speak to us through that kind of gracious message now so that it might change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is, there is sometimes a mystery to tears, to sadness. Have you ever shed tears of mystery or mysterious tears? Has crying or sadness ever crept up on you. I remember being in high school and dating someone who wanted to go to church in the evening service with me, which in this small town with a lot of religious people, the church had two services, a morning and an evening. And, and you know, when you're about 17 or 18, like I was at the time, you're pretty excited about the, the sort of transition where you can not have to go with mommy and daddy you know, to every, every church event and you can skip that not always so exciting evening service. And, but this girl I was dating wanted to go, so we went. And in the middle of what I, I'm sure I thought was just another kind of dry sermon, to be frank, in the evening service, all of a sudden, I hear this sniffling next to me. And she's, she's having tears, and the message is somehow gripping her, and she's, we're scrambling for a Kleenex. And I felt at that moment like, I mean, nothing like this had ever happened to me in my life. You know, you got to understand, I could tell you more later about the community I grew up in, but this was just not, this didn't happen. And uh, so I don't know, I didn't have any tools in my toolbox to know what to do with that situation. I don't remember what I did. There's a really good chance that I actually just did nothing, um, quite frankly, and, and didn't talk about it. You know, that was probably likely of what I would have done. But sometimes, doesn't that happen sometimes with tears sneak up on you? 
Tonight I'm going to go to that same congregation that I grew up in, and I'm going to actually preach at the evening service at this same church, or actually a key supporting congregation of City Life. If they didn't exist, City Life wouldn't exist. So I'm going to go there, and I'm going to preach there. And this funny thing has happened over the years. The few handful of times I've gone and visited there and talked there in their service, I've had an inordinate amount of times, probably more than half the time, where I'll get choked up at some point in the message. And those of you who come here regularly, you never see that side of me. I can think of one time over like six years where that's happened in a worship service. But no, I go down there and I look out and there's the people who, who taught me those little Jesus songs in the church basement when I was little. There's my Sunday school teachers. There's just mentors in the middle school, high school years. And I don't know, it just it gets really, the air gets really sentimental and it starts to fog up my eyes and I start to get choked up in the middle of my sermon. I mean, they must, they must say, oh, those poor people at City Life have to... <laughs> have to deal with this crying minister every week. So, I mean, at one point I kind of realized that, oh, it's, it's kind of different when I go there. It's not as mysterious, but, you know, tears can be mysterious. And Jesus doesn't help us out, it seems at first. He seems to add to the mystery when he says in this um, verse that we're looking at today, in verse 3, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's a little bit like saying, happy are those who are sad. It just seems like, what on earth is going on behind us? And we're going to dig into it just a little bit and for a few minutes consider what this might mean for our lives. Let me just sort of give you the telegraph at the front end and say that basically what we're dealing with here, the opportunity, is to really grab hold of what it means to understand Jesus, to understand Christianity. And we're, we're basically concluding that the key to becoming and staying a spiritually healthy person It's to develop the capacity for spiritual sorrow. The key to becoming a spiritually healthy person is to develop the capacity for spiritual sorrow, which opens you up regularly to encounter God's grace. That's where we're going with this. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, The theologian John Stott, he's a biblical scholar, and he writes... He writes this. He says, there is such a thing. He says, the truth is that there is such a thing as Christian tears, and too few of us ever weep them. What's he talking about? Are we supposed to all be crying all the time? What is he saying? Well, you get little hints of it throughout church history. So you go to like the 17th century, and you find this prayer book called the, what became called the Book of Common Prayer, and you read in one of the prayers that was commonly prayed throughout the, um, the, the Anglican and Episcopal Church in many places still today, these words, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. You, know, you, you go a, a little bit later, you go into the next century, and, and you get to 1740, and in October, this missionary to the American Indians, David Brainerd, wrote this in his journal. In my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted and bitterly mourned over my exceeding sinfulness and vileness. And then you, you, you find, you even go back to scripture and you see the Apostle Paul saying, um, I want to make sure I get it right here. He says, uh, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death in the epistle to the Romans? What's going on with this stuff? Don't we usually avoid this kind of 
So don't we look at this um, as psychologically damaging, as, as spiritually unhealthy to have this kind of, you know, beat yourself up, just grovel in, I'm so terrible, I'm so terrible, I'm so terrible. What is going on here? And, and we've got to know that we're not talking about we're not talking about just people who are sad all the time. We're not t- talking about people who are a little more emotionally connected and they cry a fair amount. We're not talking about how I might get choked up tonight when I go preach at the church that I grew up in. We're talking about an appropriate, appropriate level in your life of a spiritual sorrow. And it's, it's a sort of a, an inner grief at your own lack of spiritual purity. At your own fragmented heart that amidst the beauty of who you are and amidst the amazing work of creation that God has made in you, that there's also this aspect that you look at your life and you go, you know, that at some point I've caught that there's, there's an ideal that I could be or maybe should be and it's just I keep not lining up to that. And so um, the writer Henry Nowen, I love how he puts it, when he says basically that a Christian is one who recognizes that the evil, sin, and violence which one sees in the world and in the other are deeply rooted in one's own heart. Sort of making that transition. That's an important observation to make. At one point, um, the London Times, a long, long time ago, the London Times put out a call for the, the intellectuals of the day to comment on and write letters in saying, answering the question, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton, who is a, um, a, was a well-known literary mind of the day, and he was a Christian, he wrote back with two words, and it was published, and those two words were, what is wrong with the world? His answer, I am. I am. In many ways, uh, we're, we're going back a week. We're going back to the first beatitude that says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you can acknowledge your spiritual poverty, your, your limitations, that, that you're actually a dependent creature as opposed to an independent um, individual. And so then today, as Jesus transitions to blessed are those who mourn, and he's talking about a sort of spiritual sorrow, Okay, you know, you've already made this observation. You've acknowledged that what's wrong with the world, I am. But there's a whole other step of saying then to actually feel the weight of that, actually to feel something about that, to have a sort of an emotional posture towards that 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 is sort of this godly grief, this spiritual sorrow. You actually appropriately kind of start to feel the burden and some of the regret of not um, measuring up. In the Bible, sometimes it's called contrition. And I think I get windows into it being a parent because you always seem to be breaking up these little scuffles between children at little play dates and so forth. And the ones around the age two and three are the worst because they almost have no tools. They have this new thing, this will, you know, but they have no tools in terms of how to manage. Like, other people have a will as well. Um, and so you often feel like you're sort of a puppet master trying to navigate these conflicts and you're saying, okay, now you say this, okay, now you say that, you know. Now, you, you know, you say, I'm going to take a turn now, and you can have a turn later. Okay? And then you say, I'm sorry for punching you in the face. And now you say, you know, you say, uh, I forgive you. You know, and, see, and, and they don't really know. They're just, okay, I'll, I'll say, I forgive you, you know. And, and you'll say, now you say, I'm sorry. And they'll say, I'm sorry. And, and that's where you're given this pause where you say, wait a minute. Um, what am I doing here? You know, do I transition right now to saying, 
No, you say, you gotta, you gotta feel it when you say you're sorry, right? Like, it feels a little odd, but you know, your posture right now is telling me you don't feel sorry. You know, how do you navigate that? It's kind of tricky, you know? Do you want them to, to pretend they look sad that the other person's crying? You know, it's, it's a little tricky, but you're kind of trying to teach them, no, you also have to feel sorry, not just acknowledge that you punched them in the face. You actually have to kind of feel bad that that hurt them. That's what we're talking about here, that transition from, okay, yeah, mistake. Uh, mistakes were made, or, you know, this, this, the world isn't how it should be. My heart isn't how it should be. Actually, I'm starting to feel the burden of that. I'm starting to feel the weight of that. That's spiritual sorrow. And the question starts to be, um, as you're looking at this, this teaching of Jesus, it's a real opportunity to consider where you stand spiritually, what your outlook is, you know, what kind of tools do you have in your spiritual toolbox to deal with the problems you're going to face each day? Do you have a personal paradigm as you look at the world, as you look at yourself, a paradigm that allows you to plumb the depths of your, of your heart? And that, that's not fun. That's not always an enjoyable practice. Do you have a paradigm that allows you to plumb the depths of not only your beauty, but also your mess and your brokenness, and still come out the other side of it with a sort of peace and a wholeness? If you have that, I would say you're beginning to discover what Christians call the gospel. You're beginning to be able to navigate, fully go to the bottom of the brokenness, the mess, and come out with an equally deeper, an equally deep peace, wholeness, essentially grace. You can't shortcut um, paths dealing with that deeper issue of your brokenness. Every once in a while as a pastor, you get to sit in on families who are dealing with a loved one dying. And what can happen is um, there can almost be a sort of a, an, uh, a dependable rhythm to how this goes when someone's in their dying hours. It's not a time when someone's kind of, you know, the doctors say, you know, they probably have another hour or two left and they're breathing their last and you should rally, the family should rally around. That's not a time usually where jokes happen, where there's a lot of laughter or distractedness and trying to forget what's happening. It's a, it's a time where there's um, furrowed brows, there's wet eyes, there's tissues, there's sniffles, there's people feeling the weightiness of what's happening, just, just the sheer uh, emotional trauma and, and, and sadness that's involved in this. But then there is a time often when, um, when they've breathe their last, and uh, maybe there's been prayers around the loved one. Maybe you've been in one of these situations where, where there's kind of like, well, now what? And so maybe the family heads off to somebody who lives nearby, and they kind of order in some lunch or dinner or something and sort of just sit and, and decompress what's happened. And that's where you might see, you might get sort of some of the jokes and some of the humor that's associated with the person that's just passed. There's almost like a, a letting out of a relief valve um, after what everyone's just collectively been through. If somebody were to come in on the front end when everyone circled around and tissues in hand and tried to crack a bunch of jokes and say, isn't it funny when this person did such and such 10 years ago? I think the collective feeling would be, you're not living in reality right now. You're not connecting with the kind of the natural order of how this goes. Whereas a few hours later, over lunch, the jokes 
the remembrances, the lightness of heart needed to balance out the depth of where everyone has gone. That's exactly what we're talking about with spiritual sorrow. To distance yourself from the grace, from the from going there in terms of the trouble of your life, to distance yourself from that is to actually, it feels like you're staying in a good place. Actually, you're distancing yourself further from God's grace. You can only go as deep with God's grace as you've gone with your own heart and your trouble, um, the, the sin of your life, basically. Can't shortcut. Um, it's interesting to think about it as a shortcut. You know, in many ways, our lives, we have opportunities. We have two streams, if you want to think about it this way. There's, there's the streams in our life that can give us experiences or glimpses of our own brokenness. And there's streams that give us distractions and really, to summarize it, frivolity, you know, laughter, um, a happiness, and, and, and feeling good. These are different streams in your life. And you kind of look and say... Um, Am I, am I camping out over here? Am I only being fed with streams of frivolity? As maybe even a sort of defense mechanism from going there over here. I think that's definitely evident in our culture. I remember being in college. I went to a small Christian liberal arts college in Iowa. And, um, and one of my professors, he retired even while I was there. He's an older guy. He's a philosopher, theologian, minister, and professor. And he... Um, his name was Dr. Vanderstelt. And Dr. Vanderstelt, every once in a while, Dr. Vanderstelt would um, kind of get lost a little bit on one of his soapboxes. And one of them was, he for some reason just was, was kind of mad at late night talk shows. You know, I don't, he would just say like, ah, and it, with, with derision and scorn, he would mention the names of Leno and Letterman, you know, at the time. And, and he, you know, at the time, I'm a, I'm a college student, you know, life is fun. I'm thinking those guys are pretty funny. You know, I like some of their bits and their sketches. Why is he so hung up on this? And as I grow older, I almost think, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see it. I'm starting to understand what the deal was. Because he was just, he was noticing this is, this is just like this immersion in streams of frivolity. And they just become a distraction. And we live in a world where, you know, there are children in Syria who, who died because of gas poisoning. And then that night you can hear you know, newscasters describing Jimmy Kimmel's twerking video that got 12 million hits. And you, you, know, you just kind of go, okay, there's a genuine sorrow that's out there and the sort of frivolity. And the, you know, so I, I'm starting to say, okay, maybe, he was, maybe Dr. Vanderstel was onto something. To drift away from spiritual sorrow is to drift away from grace. This week, I was, as I was looking into this passage and looking into Jesus with respect to sorrow and tears, I actually had a moment of being severely bummed out when I realized that um, it was actually true what I read, that nowhere is Jesus portrayed as laughing in the Bible. Now, I'm going to hang on to the fact that Jesus laughed a fair amount and that that's an argument from silence. Those of you who understand the fallacies of logic, that's an argument from silence just because it never shows him laughing doesn't mean he didn't do it. All right, so I'm going to hang on to Jesus laughed once in a while. I think he probably did. Um, but I had to mourn that for a couple of days. And then, and then the truth is, there's all these places. We don't, we don't see all these descriptions of Jesus laughing. But we do see, there's no doubt about it, that Jesus cried. 
Jesus wept deeply, that he grieved. This is um, the one whom Isaiah the prophet wrote about who would come as the man of sorrows, the man of sorrows familiar with grief. Um, I don't know if you've ever entered in, tried to enter into spiritual sorrow and, and uh, confession. I don't know how much of a part of your life that is. But there's definitely a tendency, as, as someone would do that, to think maybe if I kind of screw myself up enough into a sort of sadness and a sort of, oh, uh, you know, I, I really feel sad and I'm even starting to shed some tears. I'm just feeling awful. Maybe if I feel terrible enough, God will finally be gracious to me. Or I can feel assured that I've, I've done enough groveling and God will say, you know, I release you from that groveling state. And the way the Bible portrays it is actually that's not possible. That we're incapable, actually, even in our moments of greatest clarity to see our mess, even in the moments where we um, feel deepest enough, as deep as we possibly can, about we aren't who we are meant to be or made to be. Even when you feel that the most, you're still falling grossly short of capturing and sensing and feeling the kind of sorrow, the kind of depth of the disconnect between us and God because of our brokenness. And so the Bible basically says, you know what? God said, you're not going to cry enough tears to get my grace. And so I'm going to send one who cries in your place. I'm going to send one who is going to look at this world and he's going to look at the city of Jerusalem, for example. And he's going to look at it and he's going to weep that this city that initially was established by this great, the great God of the Old Testament is a place where the, is the footstool of God, that this city is going to reject God himself as he comes to visit. And here comes Jesus weeping over this world in your place because you can't weep enough to grasp the depth of it. And so we... We weep and we have spiritual sorrow sort of as only a secondary kind of sorrow, as sort of a spiritual discipline that reminds us again of the one who wept for us and went to the cross carrying the full weight and emotional depth of our own mess and brokenness. And every year, um, as we lead up towards Easter, there's a season of Lent. And then even more so, there's Holy Week. And during these seasons, we actually look to that, that sad, uh, mournful path that the man of sorrows took to the cross. And I don't know if you have a lot of experience with that or a little, but a lot of times what churches do is they do, they do try to help you into a sort of a mood. The songs, the readings, they try to help you into a mood that is more uh, of a godly grief or a spiritual sorrow kind of a place. We do that habitually. We kind of orient our Christian calendar around that so that we develop this, this entering in to that sorrow, to develop it, but also to look to the one who could actually bear the emotional weight of it for us. Um, and we also do that every week. It's part of the reason why we celebrate communion of the Lord's Supper just about every week here, because it's a time where, you know, when I was growing up, um, just a flashback again is I remember in this kind of serious religious environment that when communion, when the trays were passed around, that's how we did it in the church, you passed around these bright silver trays. And when they were passed around and when people took one out, it was a very serious and sobering time. 
there was often the furrowed brow. There was often a look of almost sadness on folks' faces all around you. So as a child, kind of absorbing this and eventually getting to those, like I described, those college years where you have no worries. And, but I was still a Christian, so I was kind of thinking, like, why is everybody so grouchy during that time? You know, this is God's grace. We should be happy. We should be celebrating this feast of Jesus, you know. And you know what? Which way is right? The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer, you know, there, there's people, I, I love the freedom of this verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Where do you fit within that? Is your life so filled with entertainment and frivolity and distraction from your mess that you need to kind of screw on that grouchy look once in a while? No, not really. But I mean, there's a sense in which you need to kind of go that way. You need to kind of discover and plumb the depths of your own heart. Or, you know, this is quite frankly the truth as well. Is you may, your life may have placed you in streams of sorrow and grief and sadness and trouble. Life may just be bringing trouble at you often, or you might have a job where you're pouring into the brokenness of this world. You see it every day. Your heart grieves it every day. You connect with it every day. And there's a sense where you kind of need to swing the other way. You, you need to see that part, that second part of the verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So I like the fact that, um, that as even folks come forward at City Life, you know, one person's coming forward and there is that, that sincere look of, of maybe sorrow or trouble and someone else comes forward with a beaming smile because at some point the balance of those two things, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It's a little bit like this. I'll just close with this. Um, when my daughter broke her arm about a year ago, she was three years old and she was playing in a little play area in a store and she just did a tumble with a couple other kids. And she came up with, uh, the thing I noticed was she came up with a sort of a whimpering cry. It wasn't a full, you know, lasting loud cry. It just, it had something very different about it. It had a sort of, in her eyes was, there was some, a little bit of tears or a little bit of sadness, but there was also a confusion. There was something about her that was broken and not working right. And she just kind of didn't know what to do with that. And she walked straight towards me. And before I even saw, obviously, that her arm was broken, I could see that confusion, that something's wrong in her eye, and she was letting out this whimpering cry. Friends, that's how it works. There's no way that my daughter could have just stayed there and not made a sound and not came towards me and gotten the care she needed to get healed and fixed back up. She needed to come to me with that whimpering confusion so I could bring her to the ER and get it taken care of. That's how it works with God. We come not so we can feel terrible about ourselves all our life, and I'm terrible, I'm terrible, I'm terrible. We come, we, we learn this sort of spiritual capacity so that we can go to the right place with our brokenness and find the healing that only Jesus provides. Let us pray. God of grace, you are so good, and your gospel often so out of touch and difficult to understand. And then we also have all these barriers in our life that keep us from wanting to open up the parts of our lives that need it most. Would you help us? Through your Holy Spirit, even in this time, as we have a chance in a moment to come forward for the, the Lord's Supper, whether we happen to be staying in our seats or coming forward at that time, I pray that you would join us with your grace that convinces us that you are safe and a secure place to bring all that we are, our beauty and our mess. And we pray that you heal us and fix us up so that we can go out into this world to serve those who need your compassion most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.